service, you can pick up your pictorial church, your uh, church directory uh, down in the fellowship hall. So it'll be down by the double doors, it'll be in boxes, uh, alphabetized uh, by name. So after the service, don't forget to pick up your pictorial directory after the service. So I uh, got that taken care of uh, and so glad that you all are here to worship with us this morning. Um, I want to draw your attention to the bulletin. Uh, every week, be sure to check out what's going on. All, all kinds of things from new members class to vacation Bible school. I, I know they're still looking for volunteers for that. That is a, a, a big ministry of the church. We're, you know, we're hoping for hundreds of kids to be a part of that. So uh, there's lots of ways to plug in uh, different ministries. And we are uh, really excited about, uh, about what the Lord is doing and how you can be a part of that, and how we can reach people in Lexington. Uh, and for those of our guests who are here this morning, uh, we're so glad that you're here. We, we hope that we reach you uh, where you are, that we can serve you and minister to you uh, where you are. So uh, anyone in the congregation today, if you have a prayer request, if you have a need, uh, if there's something burdening your heart, uh, you can let us know. You can let the staff know by, by filling out this tear-off tab, by saying, I want to be plugged in here, or I need prayer for this. Uh, just fill out this tear-off tab and, and respond to that and drop it in the offering plate as it goes by. And if you're a guest, uh, we'd love to hear from you on there as well. Uh, just so we can say thank you uh, to you for being here and, and uh, worshiping with us this morning. Uh, so with that, let us begin our worship by rising to our feet as we read from God's Word. Psalm 15. A Psalm of David. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart and does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor nor take up a reproach against his friend in whose eyes a vile person is despised but who honors those who fear the Lord who swears to his own hurt and does not change who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Amen. Amen. So welcome again to Broadway Baptist Church. Let's take this time and greet one another. And then David will begin leading us in song. Remain standing, if you will, and we'll sing together. And the back screen needs to be on. Y'all turn the back on it. Sing together. My life is in you, Lord. Here we go. Sing. My life is in you, Lord. My strength is in you, Lord. My hope.
you join me as we go to our Savior in prayer? Father, we are grateful this morning that we have an anchor that holds, that's sure, that we're not standing on sinking sand, but anchored in you through the shed blood of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary. Thank you for the eternal hope that you've given to those who seek to follow you and believe in you as the true and the living God. May we grow in likeness of you. May we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Thank you for this opportunity of gathering together to worship you this morning, to renew our relationship with you. We thank you for every person that has gathered here this morning. Again, Lord, we come realizing that there are many special needs of people here this morning. Hearts are heavy. And we pray, Father, that in a special way, as our pastor shares your word this morning, the Holy Spirit moves within our hearts that lives will be changed and burdens will be lifted. We pray, Father, for the ministry of Broadway Baptist Church. Help us, Lord, to move forward, to see the masses and the multitudes that do not know you as their personal Lord and Savior. Rekindle the fire of revival within our hearts and help us, Lord, to be mindful that only seven people out of every 100 living in Lexington will not be injured. Only seven out of 100 will be gathered in a place of worship. The fields truly are white unto harvest. Stir our hearts. Breathe upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.
my faithfulness. Let's sing that together.
Join me in prayer, please. <coughs> Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We consider it an honor and a privilege to give our tithes and offerings for your work through this church. We pray for our pastor as he preaches from your word. We pray that we'll have ears to hear and a heart to receive. And then follow whatever decisions need to be made that we'll be faithful to make those decisions. For it's in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
There is a way that leads to life The few who find it never die Past mountain peaks graced white with snow The way grows brighter as it goes There is a road inside of you Inside of me there is one too No stumbling pilgrim in the dark The road to Zion's in your heart The road to like a mist across the road but be encouraged by the sight where there's a shadow there's a light there's a road inside of you inside of me there is one too no stumbling Thank you so much. That is Zion. There is Jerusalem, and it is in our heart. I have a video here we want to show about our, we have children and youth camp coming up.
We have camp coming up here at Broadway. I want you all to know this in April because you need to start planning and uh, signing up for it now. If you are a parent or your grandparent and you have children or teenagers, I want you to think about letting your, uh, your children or teenagers come to camp. Youth camp is going to be with Zach here on the front row. It's going to be June 11th through 16th. That's the um, second week in June. It's through completed 6th grade to completed 12th grade. It meets at a place called, um, all our camps are with the Kentucky Baptist Convention. It's called Crossings. That's their uh, camp um, organization. And they have two uh, camps here in our state. And it, the one Zach is bringing the children or the teenagers to is called Jonathan Creek. And it's in Hardin, Kentucky, which is on, on the other side of the state, about four hours away, uh, past Kentucky Lake. So, um, uh, you teenagers are, need to think about coming. It's going to be an awesome. It's a, I believe that's a, uh, they'll leave Monday morning and get back, I think, on Saturday afternoon. So it's an all-week-long camp. Uh, it's going to be action-packed for that. Now, children's camp. This is from completed second grade to completed fifth grade. Miss Sherry Lyons will be there along with our children's ministry interns. And our other, organiza- our other campsite is called... Um, it's in Baghdad, Kentucky, Cedarmore. It's called Cedarmore. It's about an hour away, and that's where the kids go. And they leave on um, Monday morning, and they come back on a Thursday afternoon. That's July 23rd through 26th. So now we're signing up for camp. So moms, dads, grandparents, you need to send your children to camp. They learn about the Lord. Gospel seeds are planted into their life. It's an awesome week, an exciting opportunity. Y'all, you saw the video, how uh, awesome it is. All right, open your Bible, book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 45, verses 22 through 23. Then we're going to flip over in a little bit, and we're going to look at John chapter 3. This is a message here that I love to preach. It's probably my most favorite one. And it's one here, it's about the overall desire of the Lord. What does God want? What is His plan and purpose Not just for us, but for all of humanity that's ever lived. The truth is, here in the United States, there are more lost people here in the U.S. than there ever have been in the history of our country. Ever. The the fields are ripe for harvest. Brother Hertz, when he had his invocation prayer, he prayed there and said, seven out of 100 people here in our city or in church this morning. I know even with the rain, you know, five drops of rain keeps 20 Baptists away. That's how it goes. But even then, even if it wasn't raining, we'd still have lots of lost folks, unchurched people right here in our city. We think about the revivals of yesteryear, how all these folks got saved. The reason they got saved is because there was a lot of lost people. Well, there's even more lost people and unchurched people now than ever. If there is ever a time for people to give their life to Jesus, it is in 2018. No better time. So then let's look at the whole world. There's over 7 billion people here on earth. Do you know Facebook, the organization Facebook, they're actually better at reaching people than Christians are with the good news of Jesus. One out of three people on earth are on Facebook. There's more people on Facebook than have a relationship with the Lord. Se- over 7 billion... Facebook's only been around since 2004. The gospel... Jesus has been here over 2,000 years. Then you go Old Testament, add another 2,000 to that. 
This isn't new. This is the same old message. I'm going to be preaching. Nothing's new under the sun, Ecclesiastes says. And what we see out of this world, seven plus billion people, lostness is rampant. Roughly about 30%, and this is a generous number, 30% of the world is saved. Now that includes every and all types of Christians. And some of those are not Bible-believing Christians. Some of those are very loosely affiliated with what we would call biblical Christianity. So with a picture like that, the opportunity for a world revival, for folks to get saved, is great. There's no reason. You can't say there's no, no lost people left. Can't tell anybody about Jesus. But the truth is, here's the problem we're about to see here in this passage, out of Isaiah 45. What we're about to see here is God's plan and purpose on the world. But for us in our daily life, it's not. When's the last time you prayed for someone who does not know Jesus to get saved? When's the last time you shed a tear for your neighbors and your co-workers? They're just, they're lost. They do not know the Lord. In your heart, it's not stirred because of that. You're busy doing other things. I mean, you're doing important things. But it's not the most important thing. We're about to see in God's plan and providence here of what is most important to the Lord. Isaiah chapter 45. I want to tell you about this chapter. We're going to read two verses out of this. Isaiah 45, of all the chapters in the Bible, you talk about a chapter of prophecy. You can't beat this one. Isaiah wrote this around 800 B.C. And he's writing, he's in a divided kingdom. The northern and the southern kingdom. And Isaiah is a prophet to the northern kingdom. And what's happening here is he's about to write about something that's going to occur in this chapter about an empire that doesn't even exist at this point. He's going to write how God is going to raise up this man named Cyrus. Who hasn't even been, he's hundred years away from even being born. Isaiah's going to call him by name. And, he, and what's going to happen, he's going to tell everybody, remind everyone that the Israelites will be captured, they'll be living in Babylonian. But then this guy out of nowhere named Cyrus is going to come up, and he's going to defeat the Babylonians, and he's going to free all the Israelites and let them come, to the, come home to Jerusalem. What Steve just sang about. The problem with this is, Isaiah's talking about this 100, 200 years before it's even going to happen. So probably his audience is thinking, Isaiah, what are you talking about? Who's Cyrus? What do you mean we're going to be in captivity and we're coming back to Jerusalem? What an incredible prophecy. And Isaiah is going to say, God's going to raise up this king who's not even a believer. And he's going to be used for the Lord's purpose. And then later on in the chapter, that's the first few verses of the chapter, Then we get here to verses 22 and 23. He's going to then really lay it out and say God's whole plan is actually for everyone to get saved. And every knee is going to bow to Jesus. It's coming. You talk about a chapter of prophecy. Everything in Isaiah 45 
isn't just about the future. He's going to name it by name is how accurate this is. Look at this. Verse 22. I'm going to read it a couple times. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn truth has gone from my mouth. A word that will not be revoked. Every knee will bow to me. Every tongue will swear allegiance. Let's look at this verse again. Turn to me and be saved. That is God's plan for the seven plus billion people on earth right now. The turn to the Lord means you stop whatever you're doing and you just drop it and say, God, I'm yours. And you literally fall into the Lord's hands. That's what it means to turn to Jesus. That's what it means, the gospel call that God is asking here. And who does this go out to? It goes to all the ends of the earth. And he goes on to say, for I'm God. There's no other. There's no other Lord that can say this. There's no other prophet like Isaiah that can predict something that's going to happen down and call the king his name even before the man's been born. He's given us the gospel here. God is the one who saves. God's plan and purpose for us is for us to know the Lord. That's it. Jesus Christ wants you and I saved. He wants us to turn to Him and to fall into His arms and turn away from sin and turn to the Lord. Verse 23, For I myself have sworn, say, who can God swear by? There is only one person the Lord can swear by, and that's Himself. The Lord is great, so He can't swear by any other thing, so He has to swear, I'm going to make a promise, and I'm going to make it to myself, and I'm going to swear by myself. That's what He's saying here. Truth has gone out from my mouth. Everything that comes from the Lord in this book is true. Nothing is false. Everything in Isaiah 45 came true. There was a, a, a man named Cyrus, and he helped free he defeated the Babylonians and he freed the Jews and sent them home to rebuild their land. He prepared a way ultimately for Jesus and, his, and the Messiah coming. Every knee will bow to me. Every tongue will swear allegiance. Do you know Paul quoted that in Romans eleven fourteen? He picked up on that verse and he realized every single person on earth, they don't realize it yet, but their knee will bow. And they will swear an allegiance to God. There will come a day of judgment. Will ultimately, we will give an account directly to the Lord for ourselves. Now, what's powerful about this? God gave Cyrus a temporary empire so that the Lord may ultimately give Christ an eternal empire for every nation on earth. This prophecy here is using a man, raised up a man, to give him a temporary empire, but ultimately we're leading to the empire of the Lord. In these verses here, there is no hiddenness of God. Meaning we reveal and we see God's purpose and plan. And that's for folks to be saved. <clears throat> Yesterday, Sherry and I, and I don't know if the children enjoy it, but we go and tour old houses on Saturday. They're not for sale, they're for tours. So we go down, we hadn't yet to be to the Mary Todd Lincoln house. It wasn't for sale, so we went there and we toured the house. And the house, if you don't know where it's at, this is the best way to find it. 
This house, if there's the convention center, and literally you walk 10 feet past the parking lot and you're at Mary Todd's Lincoln's house right there on Main Street. I mean, it's, you couldn't place it more perfectly downtown than where it's at. Mary Todd Lincoln married Abraham Lincoln. She grew up in a little home right down the road here. And we went and toured that house, and we learned, and we found out yesterday was the 153rd anniversary of Abraham Lincoln's assassination. So the place was actually packed. There were a lot of folks there, I guess, remembering his assassination. I think it was William, William Booth there in the Ford Theater in Washington that assassinated uh, President Lincoln in, um, on April 14, 1865. Now, we were touring their, their, her home that she grew up in, and that President Lincoln came to us because he had married her, and they were living there in uh, Illinois, and they would come here to her childhood home and see the house. And it's worth touring, a fascinating history there. But one of the sad things about Miss Mary Todd Lincoln is she had a life of loss. Her father died at a young age, her husband was assassinated. She had four children, three of them she buried herself. Uh, just throughout her life, it was loss after loss after loss. Then she had some brothers, and they went and fought in the Confederate, uh, for the Confederate Army. They, they passed away. There was loss from her family. Uh, just every family member just continued to die. Then after President Lincoln was shot, her only son still alive, he uh, committed her to a mental institution. And uh, that was a loss for her, so she able, you, back then, the way you got committed to an institution was a, of all things, a jury <laughs> committed you to an institution. So you went before the jury, and they decide if you were mentally insane, and she got, her son did that to her, and ultimately she got out of that. She convinced them, I guess the jury again, that she was capable uh, of, and she came out, and uh, she passed away when she was 64 years old, and what they were telling us there at the Mary Todd Lincoln house down the road, they were uh, communicating to us that, unfortunately, uh, Miss, Miss Lincoln has gotten the reputation as the crazy first lady. She was the one that went to the institution. And it's sad that she has gotten that reputation as the, as the crazy one for that. And they, they were trying to debunk that and saying, this woman throughout her life, it has just been sadness disappointment, heartbreak all throughout her chapters of her life. And that probably uh, was the real, one of the reasons that she was, went to that institution. But you look at her life, and you, we remember her for that. At least that's what they claim, that folks, she gets remembered, Abraham Lincoln married the crazy lady. So, and I share this because, unfortunately, Miss Lincoln, Miss Mary Todd Lincoln's legacy has gone down such as that. But for us as believers, what do people, or what are they going to know you like? What is your legacy? And when we read here in Isaiah 45, God is telling us that we need to be known for one thing. We need to be known that we're saved. People need to know my dad, my mom, my grandfather and grandmother, they were born again believers who love Jesus. That is God's plan for us. Turn to me and be saved. That is the gospel call that he's calling folks to himself. Jesus Christ wants you and I to have a legacy 
of one that we love the Lord. Now, Miss Lincoln did have a family Bible. They did go to church. They, uh, we actually saw that there. there it, is, it is something... She has another legacy too, but unfortunately, she's known for something sad in her life. I want to be known, and hopefully you want to be known as a man or woman. She knew, he knew the Lord. Now we talk about being saved here, so then we have to answer the question, how is someone saved? What's the qualifications what must someone believe to be saved? Well, in Romans 10.9, it actually makes us very clear here in the Scriptures of how, for someone, the, the, the minimum standards, I guess, to know how someone's to be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. The first thing we see here is that you have to believe in your heart or, or, or confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and then you believe in your heart. There's a salvation comes from confession and believing. It does not come from a works-based salvation. You cannot work your way into heaven. Knowing Jesus, knowing the Lord is not something or anything we do. It starts with a belief. When you say, Lord, I believe you. And one of the other things here, it says that we have to believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. Why is that important? Why is it important to raise, believe that? Well, why did Jesus die? Well, He died for our sins. The most essential thing salvation starts with is you have to believe that you're a sinner. That you are separated from God. Now, today, in 2018, you, can't, <clears throat> you couldn't even find, if you went around, and you tell someone that they're a bad person and they're a sinner, they would say, well, that's offensive. You can't say that. You can't even, you think about our culture we live in. No one believes they're a bad person today. In fact, you can't even name five things our culture thinks is a sin. I mean, think about it. Can you think of five things that our culture would say that's sinful? There aren't. Never will the culture condemn you as a sinful person never only the bible and the lord does that you won't get it from culture you won't get it from uh, our, our media anything like that and what jesus is saying here is in order to believe in jesus that he raised from the dead you have this first belief starts first that i'm a sinner i am in need of a savior therefore jesus i believe you salvation requires belief not work you can't work for your salvation. Repentance, it's giving up. It's saying, God, I can't do it anymore. I'm yours. One of the things about this here, Romans 10, 9, is we are warned. You don't need to turn there, but 2 Corinthians 13, 5 warns us about our salvation. And what it says here in the Scripture, it says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Examine yourselves. The Bible's telling us that we must test ourselves to see if we're saved or not. Now, here's the problem with testing ourselves. We test ourselves against the wrong people. <clears throat> this past Tuesday, I was privileged. I shared this in our Wednesday night Bible study. First time I've been to the Lexington-Fayette County Detention Center. 
I went with the Gideons. We had several men from our church go, so I went with them. A bunch of Gideons went. And I went there. And church, it's sad what I saw. I saw a bunch of young boys. These were, these were children. 18, 19, 20 years old. I mean, I was an old man there. I mean, it was a, it's a, the prison population is just young folks. And uh, Frank Firestein, the chaplain there, shared with us. And Don Hassel shared here in our church. 90% of the people who were in the prison right across the city somehow in their background have drug-related offenses. The fastest way to go to jail is to be involved with drugs. And I look at these people's lives and they're just sitting around there doing nothing. Just waiting and waiting and waiting. Young boys, mostly, that have gotten on drugs or selling drugs, and they're locked up. And what's sad about that is I look at them, and their lifestyle is completely different than mine. They've lived a life I've never known. And I thought, God, what? how do I even begin to minister to these people? The only thing... I could give those boys is Jesus. That's all I had to give them. I gave them a Bible. That's the only connection I could have with them. Our, our lives are 180 degrees difference. And the only thing that would save those guys and deliver these people is not going to be more government programs, not more rehab programs. None of that's going to work. And that's all you learn about there. God and Jesus Christ is their only hope. As the, it's, it's come to the point where if someone is, if someone's on drugs, we have, a, we have a Bible, we have a Lord who's saying, you turn to me and I'll save you. Jesus is the only thing and the only person who can help these folks. And what has to happen is, church, we have to believe this. Money will not help these people. But what happens when we examine ourselves, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 13.5 to examine yourselves and to test and see if you're in the faith. Now, I go there Tuesday night and I see these guys and I can pridefully think, God, I'm glad I'm not like them. I've never been to jail. I've never used drugs. So therefore, since I haven't done these things these little boys here have done, I must be saved. I want to tell you something. This is what we do. If your standard is judging against the world and the culture and prisoners and other people who make mistakes, if that is who you're testing and examining yourself and you see if you're in the faith is against, you are not saved. When Jesus says here to examine yourself and to test yourself, He's not talking about other people. He's talking about Himself. He's saying, use the Lord as the standard. How do you line up with Him? And He's sinless. He's never done anything wrong. Jesus walked on earth 33 years and He never once sinned. Only man to do that. 
Now, when we examine ourselves against the Lord, we fall short. And therefore, I realize I need a Savior. I'm lost. Romans 12, or Romans 14, 12 says, each of us will give an account to God Himself. Every single one of us, we will stand before the Lord, give an account. Now, I want to put eight things up here on the screen. Here they are. We know God wants folks to be saved. That is God's plan and purpose for us. Yet the problem is, God, we give Him excuses. God's speaking to you this morning. The thing about this is, we come to church, and you hear sermon after sermon. And I want to say, even in church life, a lot of folks don't preach about getting saved anymore. I listen to sermons all the time. I listen to them on YouTube, I listen to them on podcasts. And there's a lot of sermons out there. How to have a happy marriage, how to have fruitful living, how to have holy living, how to do this, that, the other, how to be a positive person. And there's biblical principles for that, but that's not God's grand purpose in His plan. He revealed it here in Isaiah 45, 22. He says, turn to me, world, and be saved. God's plan and purpose is for, for folks to get saved. And the penitentiary across the city, only their only hope is Jesus Christ. There are more lost people here in the United States than there's ever been. And God wants them saved. Even here in the world. God wants people to come to know Him. So we say, well, what are some excuses for people today who do not get saved? This is what they are. Number one, this is what people say. I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to get saved because I'm a visitor. You've come to church and we have every, church, every morning, evening service, we have an invitation for folks to give their life to Jesus. I've been in some churches, they even do it on Wednesday night. You walk down, give your, there's an opportunity to say, I'm going to give my heart to the Lord. That's an opportunity to respond. That's biblical. Jesus called out to folks. He invited them, come to me, those who are burdened and weak. And many folks say, they come a visitor, maybe it's their first time, they came with family and say, well, I'm not going to give my life to Jesus. Because this isn't my church. Listen, you can actually walk the aisle and get saved and not join the church. You want, you want to join church, that's great, but I'd rather you be saved and say, Pastor, I just want to get saved. I don't want to join the church. I want Jesus. That's what the prisoners need. You can walk the aisle and say, I just, I'm here for the Lord. Jesus only. So what happens frequently is there's many folks who they, they, will not, they will not give their life to Christ because they're visitors. Don't believe that. Don't allow that to stop you. Number two, I'm not going to respond because I don't know what to say. Do you know Nicodemus had this problem? You walk down the aisle and you think, well, I don't even know what to say. What do, I, what do I tell the man? What do I tell the preacher? What do I tell the deacon when he counsels me? Turn in your Bible. Keep your finger there in Isaiah chapter 45. Turn over in your Bible to John chapter 3. You know, there was a man we talked about, I think even on Easter we talked about him. His name was Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a secret disciple who came to Jesus at night. And he truly did not know what to say. Have you ever had a prayer life? And you say, Lord, I don't even know what to pray for. I don't even know what to say. The great thing about our Lord is he, you don't even have to say anything to him. You just come to Jesus. Nicodemus tried to speak to the Lord, and he was clueless here. Look at John chapter 3, verse 3. 
Jesus replied, this is the man, remember he's coming to Jesus at night. And uh, he says, they're rabbi, we know you're a teacher, he's come from God. No one could, he's basically, no, he says, uh, you, nobody could do these signs that you're doing. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, Nicodemus, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you know Jesus just revealed his purpose? He says, I, I'm not here for a show. We don't care about the miracles. Don't get caught up in that. That's not the purpose. Nicodemus, unless you were born again, young man, you will not go to heaven. That's what he said. He's making it. Jesus cut straight to the chase. He says, you need to be born again. He saw Nicodemus as a seeker, yet he doesn't know what to say. He wanted to talk about the miracles. And look what Nicodemus says. How can anyone been born when he's old? Nicodemus asks. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Bless his heart. It's like someone who, they just don't know what to say. The great thing about this is if you don't know what to say to the Lord, you just come and say, Lord, I, I just want to be born again. It says, Lord, just give me Jesus. I want you and you alone. We're not trying to go back in our mother's womb a second time or how an old person can be reborn. That's not what Jesus is talking about. None of that. We're talking about a spiritual rebirth. We are all born once, and at some point in your life, you need to be born again. Now listen, we use this phrase, born again. We talk about this, this phrase of getting saved. Do you know when your wife was saved? Do you know when your husband was saved? Or your children? Do you remember when your grandchildren came to faith in Christ? I want y'all to listen to me. We, I'm, we're not just talking about ourselves. You might be sitting next to the person you love the most in your life after Jesus. You should know when they gave their life to the Lord. Wouldn't you want to spend eternity with Him? Can you share your spouse's testimony? Do you, has your spouse ever told you their testimony? Do you ever talk about being saved or when you got saved with your husband or wife? I'm going to be truthful. Some of you don't. Y'all never even discuss this. You don't discuss it with your grandkids. You don't discuss it with your children. You don't discuss it with the person you love the most. If you don't know when your spouse was saved, are they saved? I mean, salvation is when you trust in Jesus Christ to save you for eternity in heaven. That is the most important thing. And you should know when that decision's made. There should be a time saying, I know when I gave my heart to the Lord. If you're dating someone, you should make sure, is this person born again? Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. For Jesus Christ, remember, there's the saved and there's the lost. That is it. Those are the two categories on earth. That is how important. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, God, I don't, I'm just here to talk about being born again. I'm not here for politics. We're not here for uh, government talk. We're not here for anything else. Do you know Jesus? Do you know the Lord? 
Have you been saved? That's what he's saying. Many times, we do not get saved. We don't respond to the gospel because we don't know what to say. We're just like Nicodemus. You just walk to Jesus and say, I just want the Lord. God, I'm yours. I'm going to fall into your arms. Number three, many times we don't get saved. We don't respond. Listen to this, because we think we're too old. I want to tell you about Robert Nash. Robert Nash, I officiated his funeral about three or four years ago. In fact, his, his widow, her name is June, she mailed Sherry a birthday card this week from Grantville, Georgia. Robert Nash, I baptized him when he was 80 years old a few years ago. He sat in a church pew his whole life. And one day, he called me up and says, Daniel, I need to make an appointment with you. Now, 99% of the time, they're bad appointments when you hear stuff like that. But I went to his house, and we talked about something that he had never spoke about. He said, Pastor, I need to talk about my relationship with the Lord. He was getting to be 80 years old, or he was 80 years old, and he realized he wasn't saved. In his living room, I led that gentleman to the Lord. The next Sunday, he walked down the aisle and gave his life and made it public. And then a few weeks later, we scheduled baptism, and he received a believer's baptism. Oldest person I've ever baptized. And he said it. He said, Daniel, I don't want pride to keep me out of heaven. As you age, especially if you've been in church a long time, you get prideful. You serve on committees, you get in leadership positions, you become a deacon, you move your way up the church ladder. But it's possible to move your way up the church ladder, but you're not one ring up in heaven's ladder at all. You're not even in heaven. You have no relationship with the Lord. And he had to basically, he even said, I had to break my pride and realize all I care about is my relationship with the Lord. That is more important then whether or, not, whether or not people thought this was a, the upstanding man, he was a city councilman, he was somebody that had a, a great career. But he realized, I don't want to be too old to be saved. I'm not going to allow that to stop me from coming to Jesus. There's, you, you can, the only way you've waited too long is at the point of death. Then it's over. Once we die, there's no second chance of you getting saved. Fourthly, we see here, this is what other folks say when they're not going to respond to the gospel. I'm not going to respond because I'm too young. Here in our church, when you get in third grade, that's what children's church ends. It's, it's second grade. When you, you graduate from children's church to second grade, in third grade, you come up into the big church here in the sanctuary. But do you know, parents, your children can get saved at a young age. No matter how young you are, gospel seeds, even as an infant, Bible stories can start to be planted into children's lives. God said in Ecclesiastes 12.1 that the best time to get saved is actually while you're young because what happens is you're, as you age, your heart, sin, one of the things what sin does is it hardens your heart. And it's harder to walk the aisle as an old man than a little boy. I, rem I remember one time talking about, talking to a woman. Um, uh, we had a, a, a kind of a children's revival at our church, and a bunch of, little, bunch of little kids got saved. A woman came up to me really sad afterwards. And the reason why 
is because she left her children at home with her husband. And they missed it. And she came up and says, did we videotape that? Or is he coming back again? My kids would have enjoyed They would have loved it. She was there serving at the church. Serving milk or cookies or just do something in children's ministry. And she missed it for her own children. They were at home playing video games with dad. And it was a missed opportunity with that, at that children's revival, youth revival. And she wanted a, she wanted a second chance. Her ma, mama wanted her kids to get saved. And it slipped through her fingers. There might never be another opportunity for those children. Parents, every time the doors open, you need to have your children at church. And if they're not up here in the sanctuary, they need to be downstairs in children's church and Sunday school and team kid and mission friends and CIA and in youth group and in college group. Because what happens if they don't, they're going to hear the gospel now. But there will come a time when they get older and they're going to get a car and they're going to get their own independence and they're going to do their own thing. And that window will close. Children are never too young. Even in the nursery, you can sing Jesus loves me to children and show them pictures of Jesus and the Lord and Noah and the creation stories. We don't want to believe the lie that we're too young to get saved. Now, if a third three-year-old walks the aisle and wants to get saved, we might not baptize them, but we'll tell them, we'll go counsel them and say, hey, you're making steps to Jesus and that's still, it's, I'd, rather, I'd rather people come than not come. Parents and grandparents don't need to be telling their children, no, no, no. There's an invitation for all ages to come to the gospel. Jesus invited the children, let the children come to me. Number five, I'm not going to get saved, I'm not going to respond, because I've done something too bad. Jesus' purpose. He came to save lost sinners. That's why He came. It doesn't matter what you've done. No matter how bad it is, Jesus Christ can save you. Every, there was 1,400 people, 450 people at the penitentiary on Tuesday night. That's what the uh, chaplain told us. Every one of those men and women can get saved. None of them are too far from the ar- arm of God. God even asked the question in the book of Isaiah, is my arm too short to save? Can I not save you? Of course He can. I'm not, I'm not going to respond. And number six, I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to get saved because I'm not a bad person. I talked about this earlier. This is, what, this is 2018. Nobody thinks they're bad anymore. I walked down this street right here, and I walked up to someone and said, Sir, did you know you're lost? You're a sinner without Jesus. They would look at me, and, and first of all, they would say, what do you mean I'm lost? A sinner? Who are you to judge me? That is exact, that's not your business, sir. That's exactly what they would say. You go up to someone, and you accuse them of being a sinner, and they're lost without the Christ, they become defensive and say, I'm a good man. I'm not lost. I'm great. Satan has blinded people today thinking they're not even lost. There's no problem whatsoever with anyone. Not because our culture doesn't condemn anything. 
You cannot do anything wrong today. It's not possible. Number seven, I'm not going to get saved. I'm not going to respond because I'm a church member. There's many, many church members who are not saved, who do not know the Lord. Do you know what keeps church members from getting saved? It's pride. It's the same thing that keeps senior adults from getting saved. They think, what would they think of me? What would they, what would they say to me? What would such and such think if they knew, hey, I was lost. I've seen deacons get saved before. The gospel goes out. Just because we're a church member does not mean we have a relationship with the Lord. God doesn't look at our church roles. He's looking at folks that can say at this day, at this point in my life, I trusted and I gave my heart to Jesus. I got saved when I was 15 years old. I remember it. And I got baptized. I gave my life to Jesus. God was convicted of me of sin. He was speaking to me. I got saved as a teenager. And I actually was a church member because I had walked the aisle when I was 11 and gotten saved and baptized, supposedly. But I was doing it to please my Sunday school teacher and my parents. So I was a church member when I got saved. There are many people who were just like me. Don't be fooled by just seeing if you're on the church rolls that you're automatically going to heaven. I'm not going to respond. Lastly here, I'm not going to respond because I will do it later. This could be your last opportunity. We are not promised tomorrow. This could be the last time. If you're a guest, this could be your last time you'll ever hear a salvation sermon. You're not going to hear it in the media. You're not going to hear it on TV. But Jesus is speaking. He's saying now, today is the day of salvation. Look here, last two verses we're going to look at. We turn to John chapter 3. Now look at John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. This is after a well-known Bible verse in John 3, 16. But then in John 3, 17, look what he says here. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Church, there it is. This is, all the, this is the reason God sent Jesus into the world. God came and died on a cross so that folks can be saved. That, should be, that is the mission of a Christian because that is the heartbeat of the Lord is leading people to Christ. When is the last time you even prayed for a lost person to get saved? When, I mean, and I'm speaking to myself. Have you ever been to a church? I, they used back in the good old days, they had these things called cottage prayer meetings. I've actually been to them before. It was a time, it's true prayer meeting. You would come to church for an hour, two hours, and you would just cry out by name for people who were not here in the pews. You prayed for the drunk. You prayed for the rebellious children. You prayed for folks who did not know Jesus. They dropped out of church. They were backsliders. And you just prayed for them and asked the Lord to bring them to the altar. And that's the heartbeat of God. It's John 3.17. Look at verse 18. 
Verse 18 says, Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Listen, our world, it says in verse 18, it's already condemned. We're not here to condemn the world. It's, it stands condemned already. Sin, what happened in the Garden of Eden, condemned this world. Jesus came to redeem it. We, there is a redemption message of Jesus Christ, and He's speaking to you and I and to people we come in contact, and He's calling us to the cross. He's saying now is the time of salvation. Now is the time to respond to the Gospel. There's probably some of us here. There's probably some folks here at Broadway that if you look at your, you look at your life and your salvation, you can think, when did I give my life to Jesus? And you might even be a church member. And God is speaking to you, and He's saying, you're not saved. It's not genuine. You were doing it to please someone else. I walked the aisle. I got supposedly saved and baptized when I was 11 years old to please my parents and my Sunday school teacher. And if that's your motivation for getting saved, that's a fake salvation. We get saved because God tells us we're lost and that we get saved because we realize Jesus died on a cross for us. And we are hopeless and doomed for hell without Him. This morning, we're going to have our invitation. Some of you need to look at these excuses. Eight excuses here that we give to the Lord while we're not going to get saved. God is speaking to you and you need to respond. I'm going to invite David Dale to come forward. We're going to have our invitation, and I'm going to be standing down front. And we're going to sing in our songbook, I Surrender All, hymn number 433. I want everyone to stand together. I'll be standing down front. If this is your time to respond, there should be no more excuses. Say, I'm coming to Jesus. I'll be standing down front waiting for you to respond. All to Jesus.
Thank you, David. Thank you so much. I want to remind everybody, this week we have a lot of great things going on here. Uh, this coming Saturday, we're having our uh, men's prayer breakfast with Keith Madison. He's the former head uh, uh, baseball coach of Kentucky, so I want to invite folks to that. We also have our evening worship service tonight, preaching through the Gospel of Luke, so certainly I invite and encourage folks to come to that. We have Team Kid and our youth group with Zach, so that's also going on. So uh, Action Pack Week, so certainly I uh, want to invite everybody to connect to that. So we have a closing song here. Now I belong to Jesus. Let's sing it together. Now I belong to Young at heart going to Columbia Steakhouse. 